1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
0: You're listening to New Books in Geography, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host for today, Stentor Danielson, from the Department of Geography, Geology, and the Environment at Slippery Rock University. Today, I'll be talking to Bjorn Sletto and Joe Bryan, editors of Radical Cartographies: Participatory Map Making from Latin America, published in 2020 by University of Texas Press. Dr. Sletto and Bryan, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Nice to be here. Thank you.
0: So to start off, why don't you each tell our listeners a bit about your background and how you came to work on this book? Um, do you want me to start Stentor? Yeah, go ahead.
1: So yes. Uh, thank you again, Stentor, for inviting us to this, to the podcast. Um, I am originally from Norway. Um, I've been in the United States for a few years now. I have a PhD in community and regional planning from. Uh, Cornell University, and I teach here at the University of Texas at Austin in the community and regional planning program. And uh, my teaching involves um, student research and and travel to Latin America, especially the Dominican Republic, where I've been working on informality and community development by by community organizations. And... um, I used to do uh, spend a lot of time doing participatory mapping uh, in Venezuela before, but more recently, I've been focusing on, on urban uh, issues.
2: Yeah, so uh, this is Joe Bryan. I'm a professor at the University of Colorado Boulder in the Geography Department. And like Bjorn, I got my start um, with participatory mapping really as working with uh, communities, uh, in particular, I would say one place I sort of got started with this uh, involves a case that's described as one of the chapters in the book uh, involving Quichua people in lowland Ecuador. Uh, and we were there, we were trying to figure out how to document and sort of make visible the impacts of proposed oil development on Quechua communities uh, in the lowlands. And mapping was one of the strategies that we sort of thought about using at that time. Uh, mapping was very difficult and technically intensive. We had literally boxes of floppy disks uh, with ARC info on it that we were supposed to try to learn how to use, and we didn't get very far, uh, but we started making hand-drawn maps there, and that was an idea that really stuck with me. And then since then, I've gone on uh, to work with uh, Indigenous communities really around the Americas on mapping issues, oftentimes producing maps in conjunction with land claims uh, as I did uh, with my work in particular in Nicaragua on the Awastigny case Uh, I also uh, spent some time as a direct as one of the co-directors of the indigenous communities mapping initiative that ran from 2000 to 2004 uh, that supported four different uh, indigenous communities here in the United States that were working on developing their own mapping project and I've kind of just kept at it since then Uh, in the book One of the chapters is by a a collaborator of mine from Oaxaca, Mexico. Uh, And we first uh, connected after a a controversy surrounding indigenous maps happened there uh, in 2007 to 2009 roughly, uh, that I've written about in another book that I have, uh, and that is mentioned uh, some in the book.
0: Okay, so I want to start by asking you about the title of the book, which is Radical Cartography. And you introduce this term as something that's different from, you know, establishment cartography, but also kind of goes beyond what we're usually thinking of when we use terms like participatory mapping or counter mapping. So, could you tell us what exactly is radical cartography and what makes it radical? Uh,
1: good question, Stenter. Thank you. Um, I, I think just to answer that question, I think maybe stepping back just a little bit to um, as Joe. Uh, indicated too, I also got started with participatory mapping as sort of a, as pr- principally a process for um, um, what Nancy Peluso refers to as counter mapping. So in other words, producing maps that would be, a, um, provide a counter narrative to existing um, state maps, right? So that was my work in Venezuela for, for about 10 years, uh, working with a PEMON, On the border with brazil and with the yucca on the border with colombia and and the sort of the the tradition that i sort of came in from was was a more of a an should we say an empirical tradition where the purpose really was to provide information about land uses about sacred sites about um locations of, of various land use activities in the space that was Claimed for ter- as territory by indigenous groups, and I think as as I was as I, as I worked in this area, um, I I came to appreciate more and more the multiple uses of maps and the multiple sort of um, engagements and dialogues that happen around the map production itself. Right. So so thinking more about the process itself and. And, and learning from my, my collaborators and, and friends and partners in these communities that map making was much more than just empirically tracing on the on piece of paper or, in, or, or producing a GIS. It also involved uh, storytelling and it involved negotiations over sort of uh, the direction of social change in communities, over uh, relations of power in the community, the meanings of places and so forth. And, and and that really sort of drew me to thinking about map making more broadly than just than simply a counter mapping in sort of empirical Cartesian terms. And I think we're using to me, I guess, and Joe will have his own perspective to me, I, I, we were struggling for a term to sort of refer to this broadening of uh, of the sort of, Social and political impacts of maps and the broad, broadening of uses and the broadening of of um, deployments of of these technol of these technologies and came to the term radical as a, as a way of of signifying this sort of broadening uh, politics of, of map making.
2: Yeah, to pick up on what Bjorn has said, I think part of this radical politics is based on uh, indigenous peoples and black communities. Uh, actual experience of producing these maps uh, and i think that that's one of the the things that really leads in all the chapters of the book is that uh, at this point many communities indigenous and black communities in many parts of latin america have been involved in map making for two to three decades at this point and they've compiled uh, extensive experience with that process uh, that is now starting to shape their own proct- practices and approaches to map making Uh, And to boil, to give you a sense of kind of what that means in really concrete terms. Um, You know, for example, if you want to use a map to make a territory visible to a court, say, uh, one of the first things that you need to do is to draw boundaries around it, to produce a bounded territory that can be recognized by a court and can be demarcated by such. Now, indigenous communities uh, that I've worked in, oftentimes this is a pretty easy thing to start doing. Like they know exactly where they have a strong sense of where their territory is, the space that they've lived in, both historically and in the present. Uh, but how then to start to represent that with a certain, with a set of lines drawn around it uh, to make it look like a territory to outsiders uh, is actually a little bit more complicated. And one of the things that really came to the fore in mapping projects uh, that I've worked on, is that people were really became conscious of how mapping and the sort of claims process itself was actually def- setting the terms by which they were drawing their territory. For example, if you asked uh, people in, say, a uh, community where I've worked quite a bit in, in eastern Nicaragua, Aguas Tingni, to draw a map of their territory, initially that map wouldn't have had boundaries on it the way that we think of boundaries as these hard kind of lines that are show up as heavy dark lines on a map that that also can be then demarcated and physically surveyed on the ground uh it's not to say that they don't have boundaries but to say that 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 understanding of boundaries is very different and what you see then in the mapping process Uh, when it's driven by claims is a kind of a hardening of these boundaries so that the terms of recognition are that, how do we make our territory visible to outsiders, to uh, courts, to state governments? Uh, And that has powerful ramifications for communities themselves. And oftentimes um, you get to the situation where the territory that's recognized is not something that is recognizable by the very people that it's meant to benefit uh and so this has fed into new ways of how do we represent uh and how do we sort of show relationships to land uh territorial rights in ways that sort of break with the ways in which we would think about these in a very conventional manner from looking at maps or thinking with maps uh and so the radical part of this really gets into some of the innovation and experimentation that communities have d- driven themselves to figure out how to sort of address these problems. Uh, and there's a number of chapters in the book that go extensively into this. For example, um, Pablo Mancias has a, has a piece about mapping Hualmapu, which is the Mapuche territory uh, that covers a large chunk of the Southern Cone uh, in what we would recognize as Argentina and Chile. Uh, And really their project is to sort of how do you show that space as Mapuche people both see it and understand it, but also as they would want to live in it. Uh, Another example comes from the chapter by Melquiades or Quiado Cruz uh, talking about oral cartographies in Oaxaca. Um, And he goes into a sort of elaborate detail about how people have their own stories about sort of how this landscape came to be that are oftentimes X'd out or crossed out of conventional maps uh, that tend to oftentimes sort of reduce historical questions to sort of, are you traditional? Are you doing traditional land use? Uh, and that's sort of to the extent to which history is engaged with. So there's a lot of sort of experimentation and reading back into the maps that that makes these sort of these maps radical in the broad sense.
0: Okay, so that actually nicely sets up uh, another question that I had, because you're talking there about some of the ways that cartography can be used to make things more legible to outside uh, people like the state. And so forth and kind of make a a political argument for something like land rights or or something like that and that's a very common theme in a lot of these uh case studies that are included in the book but then some of them you also see mapping being used for the community's own kind of internal purposes you know that's not just a map to show outsiders to say hey look this is what our our territory is or whatever but it's also something that is useful within uh, the community that's making this map. So I was wondering if you could talk about some of the you know the how those two different purposes for maps kind of connect or our intention in some of these cases.
1: Yes, Denter, thank you for that question. I, I to build on what what Joe said, I I, I think the way we use the term radical is it, it, sort of a little bit tongue-in cheek too in the sense that, Participatory mapping—the way it was uh, done in the 80s and 90s, perhaps—and and often with uh, external um, assistance and so forth from 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 scholars. In fact, wasn't necessarily radical. It was it was often uh, like Joe said, uh, maps produced on the terms of the state and external entities in connection with conservation planning, perhaps and and uh territorial reorganization and so forth so it wasn't uh radical in a sense that w- that we we used the term It was it was more like joe said you had to work with the terms the cartographic terms of the state and delineate those sharp boundaries for example and i think what's important here for this in this book is that we are indeed focusing on the on the appropriation and and, and sort of reimagination of, of, of mapping by communities themselves, and with I think and from my experience in Venezuela, it's very clear cognizance of the fact that the state is indeed requiring certain certain data in the form of a map, and and yes, we will produce that. We will do that through this mapping process, but that is just a springboard for. For a much broader uh, use on our own terms of map making, right? So, so in the case of Venezuela, for example, with the Pemon, where I worked for many years and where I lived for a while, is uh, the map making was also seen as a way of of um, engaging youth by elders. It was seen as a way of engaging youth in conversations, really critical thinking about what is what is the future whole what does the future hold for the communities and and where are we going in terms of social change and and you know our concerns about the loss of language and so on came out in these mapping workshops. So it just became a really a forum for for critical dialogue. And it laid a foundation for um, for planes de vida, like life plans like basically indigenous indigenous planning processes. It laid a foundation for um, a historical uh, project to document historical sites and and genealogies and in the case of the Yucca in western Venezuela it, it really became a, um, a space for dialogue about the rapid changes and and uh, reclamation of hacienda lands and which involved, um, which involved a lot of a lot of changes within the communities, movement of people within the community. So, so, so yes. So I think uh, that is very important in this regard. Reminds me of the case of um, of Manaus that was that Emmanuel uh, de Almeida wrote about in, in the Bejia Flor Aldeia, Aldeia, and which is a case of. An urban case, right? Which is very interesting. It's a it was a, a dozen communities, a dozen indigenous groups moving into Manaus and settling in in an air, in the same area, and the map making really became a space for for dialogue among the groups to sort of to forge an understanding of a of a sort of collective claim and a collective sense of urban in, indigeneity, while still maintaining um, uh, more traditional ties to their communities. So, so yeah. So I think that is that's where we're getting at the radical from. That is, in fact, it's it is a change. It's an appropriation. It's a reimagination, and and uh, new ways of, of using cartography much more broadly than than the sort of territorial demarcation of the past.
2: I would think I would add to Bjorn's sentiment there in the sense that one of the questions that communities grapple with when they start mapping and when they start really a land claim process as well is is what is what is this thing called land or what is the territory and it's actually it's a it's a seems like it should have a self-evident answer but it's actually a lot harder to get at um, than you might think Uh, and it comes it sort of becomes a material problem or a concrete problem when you do things like, okay, how are we going to draw lines or boundaries around something that hasn't been mapped before, ma- or hasn't had those boundaries in the past? But Bjorn also mentions an important point too, in that that you know many Indigenous and Black communities are communities that are in motion or they're moving, um, and they their territories kind of s- Stretch and contract with those motions sometimes those motions are driven by uh, dispossession so when you have like a massive open pit mind for example that pushes a community uh, in new ways uh, but another other times they're driven by other processes like migration so for example the chapter that uh, by melchiales cruz in the book uh, talks about a part of oaxaca that is where many many people have experience either themselves migrating to work in other parts of Mexico or in the United States, or have friends and family that have done that route. And as we sort of, in working with Cruz on some other projects, we've sort of dug into this idea of what is territory and this big question about like, well, how how do migrants reshape the territory or how do they shape this in, in new sort of, shape spatial understandings of the community uh, as such? has been a real sort of pressing question that we've tried to, like, get at. And at the same time, communities are generating their own sort of questions as well. For example, uh, again, in Oaxaca, the community that Cruz writes about and many others like it have uh, community-run radio radio stations. Uh, Some of them now have community-run cell phone networks uh, and internet access. And initially, these systems were built kind of by effectively hacking into kind of airspace. Uh, The initial response from the Mexican government was oftentimes to criminalize these activities, although they've now changed their tune dramatically and and have adopted a stance more of regulating or licensing community run media. Uh, But along the way, communities. Developed a really strong sense of the fact that airspace—that space that looks like it should be nothing, right—the electromagnetic spectrum is part of the territory in the sense that it's a medium, it's a it, that facilitates uh, communication and connectivity. So uh, it was a way of kind of seeing how territories can be formed in other ways that are not really easy to map. Uh, but start to get at at the sense of territory as being much more expansive than just land or just resources, uh, per se. And it's not to say that land and resources are are unimportant. They're absolutely critically important, Uh, but it's to sort of develop a more multidimensional understanding of territory, which is often precisely what goes missing from maps.
1: And if we are going to add to that uh, good observation, uh, often in my in the, in the work that I have done, I have um, faced situations with internal uh, debates and maybe even conflict regarding land uses, and that are often a result of pressures from the state and from uh, investors and from mining interests and so forth. and And the mapping process then has become instead of uh, a process to follow state or imperatives in, in defining boundaries has become a space for, for dialogue and, and negotiation in some case and, uh, between groups. And I, I remember from working in Venezuela, the one of the things that I would always, I would always say is that when we, we don't have boundaries, like Joe is referring to our boundaries are, are much more nuanced and, and permeable and shifting, but for the purposes of this work we are we are going to delineate boundaries, but we are not going to be delineating boundaries we, within these areas even though there are in fact understandings and, and usufructs and, and, uh, and traditions in how and how land is, is subdivided and used by different groups at different times. So it's a I, I think one of the things that I wanted to get across in the book is this is this, the politics and the great really awareness of the potentials of map making that goes beyond the let's make a map for because the state requires it for our territorial claim. That, that is this piece, a part of it now. So um, and, and I think this was interesting too referring to returning to this point of, of, of flows and travel and shifting and changes, like which is such an important theme in this regard. Um, a reminder of Davi Pereira's chapter on the on the Kilimbola, uh, land rights claims in Alcântara and, and Maranhão in Brazil. He's he was a PhD student here. We worked together for many years, and 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 he he was very cognizant, of course, of, of being um, a Quilimbola intellectual, main, pursuing this struggle while living in the United States, uh, while being separated from family and during COVID and so forth, it was a very difficult time. And, and so we talk a lot about this, this flows of, of ideas and knowledge across boundaries and the sort of what is that? What is that doing in terms of this attachments and understanding of ter- territory, uh, given all these given all these movements? So so anyway, so so I think that the again returns to the point of the radical being being, in fact, uh, more going beyond the the sort of requisite the required tracing of of boundaries on the terms of the state
0: yeah i think those themes all come across very well uh, in the book so i now want to turn and ask a, a little more about you know how this book came together because you've got 11 case study chapters written by different authors and you've you know, given shout outs to a few of them uh, along the way so far. But I was wondering if you could talk about how you went about bringing this particular set of people together and, you know, turning their different perspectives into this book.
1: Do you want me to start, Joe, maybe? Um, I This is a very long story, Stenter, and uh, and uh, it, it's really, I think, is a fascinating um story of co-production and learning across trans you know transdisciplinary production of a text um I think I guess we can we can one of the earlier starts probably was the conference that um, we put together all of us in 2011 at the Universidad de los Andes thanks to Claudio Leal and uh, colleagues in the Department of History and with funding from um, the rights and resources initiative and in UT Austin. Right. And that was a conference that I think about about 50 participants who, who uh, we working with rights and resources and Joe and myself and Charles Hale, of course, who we have to mention as a really important uh, co-editor and, and instigator of this project, who was the director of LEALAS at the time, um, as well as uh, Alfredo Wagner, who is a, a major figure in participatory and, and radical photographies in, in Brazil. We put together, I think, a fabulous group of people from, from about a dozen countries um, to speak on different aspects of participatory mapping and including some produced some uh, short reflections in, in written form that were circulated during the conference. I think that, to me, there was a very inspiring uh, dialogue that I would say really brought home that the observations that I made from Venezuela were not limited to Venezuela. You could see that these, these very innovative and transformative uses and thinking about map making were, was was happening, you know, throughout the region. And I would say to to me, you know that. That resulted in then an article that we produced that Joe and, and myself and others co-authored, where we sort of pulled out some major themes and really arriving at this understanding that maps are indeed being map making is indeed being transformed, like Joe said earlier, by the communities themselves. And then the, the question turns to the logistics, like how do we actually do this? How do we produce an, a volume that is uh, indeed authored by people from across the region, um, in working in very different circumstances in different languages. One of the ways we, I think that helped us a lot was, um, a workshop that we put together here at UT Austin, where we brought in, I think that was in 2014. And we brought in, I think, seven of the authors, uh, joined us here in Austin, along with Joe, and we uh, started processing uh, the chapters. Should say, some chapters already had a beginning; others, we 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 started with a conversation, and we also were able to use recordings from the Bogota conference and PowerPoint and so forth to start to start assembling an argument for each chapter, and and then that process continued through my own dialogue with uh, and meetings with uh, writers from brazil and 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 Skype calls and and some personal visits and i know joe has his own story of working with Melquiades and pablo in person and then and then then coming to this to a place where we started editing this text and returning them to the authors and finally translation uh, from, from Portuguese and Spanish into English. So it was a, it was a very interesting involved process. Um, I would have wished we'd had more chances for personal meetings, you know, but time and, and money and logistics made it, makes it difficult. But I would say to me, it was a, it was a really fascinating process of, of co-production of a, of a text that crossed multiple boundaries, geographic and, intellectual and, and personal and, and geographic boundaries as well as epistemological boundaries. So I benefited a lot from it. I think I, I would say, at least speaking for myself, I benefited and learned a lot. I think others did too. And, and it's a, a, it really is a decolonial uh, way, I think, of producing academic text that I would love to continue pursuing in future work.
2: I think to add to Bjorn, I mean, Bjorn has given you some sense of this and I can give you another gloss on it, but, you know, so much of what we know as people who are sometimes coded as as mapping experts or experts in the field of Indigenous mapping, that's all been built with working with communities. Um, and sometimes it's places where we directly are involved in making maps, like Bjorn uh, explained with the Pamon and Yukpa people in Venezuela, in his case, or myself in Tingni in Nicaragua, or uh, in Oaxaca with Melquiades uh, Cruz, or many of the other places that I've worked in my, over the course of my career. And I think one of the things that comes with that experience is a real, profound debt of gratitude and recognition that the fact that many of these many of our best colleagues are in communities Uh, they're not in universities for all sorts of reasons Uh, and that was then sort of paired with this awareness that there are very few opportunities for people to exchange ideas and experiences that sort of fall outside of the big kind of donor-driven conference, uh, which could be, you know, it could be hosted by the UN, it could be hosted by a conservation organization, it could be host- hosted by an NGO. And not to say that those conferences are not useful and good, but as many of us who've participated in them know that the really interesting stuff happens usually outside in the halls uh, where people are having informal conversations about what what's really going on or what they're learning from mapping. Uh, and so that. Bogota Conference in 2010. Really, the idea was to center those conversations, to basically take the hallways and put them on center stage, uh, so that we can have this really sort of robust conversation about, like, well, everybody's been doing this mapping stuff for a while. What, what's it? How's that process worked? What's it? What's it gotten you? Sort of what's a what's a sort of critical take on it? Uh, and we left it open. Uh, that in a way that really allowed for community-based researchers uh, to sort of put forward their own ideas and expertise. And I think it was, you know, they've been involved in a few meetings like this. And one of the things that sort of ties them all together is just the overwhelming creativity that's associated with this. Uh, And not just creativity for sort of creativity's sake, but actually creative... Uh, approaches to solving really tangible problems like an oil company is going to drill on our territory and this is going to have huge effects for how we live here how do we deal with that how do we confront that threat or it could be mining or it could be the expansion of a city it's going to be so many of these different things uh, and so putting forward those experiences as actually the centerpiece of what we wanted to talk about was a really important part of kind of getting the idea of this book started. Uh, and then as Bjorn mentioned, you know, some of the authors in here have written and published more books and articles than I have as a as a professor. Uh, and some people, this was really their first time producing a text like this. Uh, and so a lot of the process then was how do we kind of pool our experiences to sort of co-edit in a really meaningful way each other's works. And to produce a series of texts that we would we found would be useful both to scholars, more conventionally trained scholars like myself who are working on these issues, as well as to help kind of share this information between communities. And that that really is the is the the sort of I wanna use a word in Spanish here, the nudo, the, the sort of knot that's at the center of this book that that is tied together by everyone kind of all the chapters and sort of putting all their experiences on the table.
1: Yes. And if I, to add to that, um, I, I think Joe alludes to the, the incredible creativity of the different mapping projects that were presented at the, in Bogota and, and the, the sort of the innovative solutions, the innovative ways of, of using tech, uh, uh, cartographic tools to, for instance, like like the the case of the oil, oil production and the contamination like Wendy Pineda is writing about in Peru for example the uses of GPS and map making to provide real-time uh, uh documentation for example and I think also would would want to add that one of the things that I struggle with or or that I really try to emphasize in this work was was that The book should be both about the experiential, have an experiential perspective, and but also a theoretical edge. So, what I found very, uh, what I found just incredibly powerful in my own work is is, in fact, the theory making that happens through these projects are coming out of these communities and that is something that is often well for the most part overlooked in in the western academia you know and and i i i wanted to try to provide a balance between um providing case material and examples of of creative solution but also uh reflections about the role of map making for epistemologies for 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 preservation of history, for understandings of movements of people and so forth that is in fact emerging from these communities and often sort of prompted or facilitated across the the mapping table, as it were.
2: Just a a footnote to Bjorn's comment, you know, um, a lot of the people, a lot of the contributors to this volume, they are all read everything they can get their hands on and oftentimes that's stuff on the internet Uh, but one of the things that is broken there is this idea that community knowledge whether it's an indigenous community or a black community is has to be authentic and only limited to what that community knows and where they sit Um, so for example in the chapter that i helped edit and translate by Melquiades cruz he at one point quotes uh, Deleuze and Guattari, which is, for the academics out there, this is a notoriously difficult text to make any sense of. Um, And yet, uh, Cruz and many of his other colleagues in in Oaxaca have read pieces and fragments of Deleuze and Guattari's work, and they have their own take on it. And they actually have found it really useful for thinking about some of the things that they want to describe in their own work. Um, which was amazing because I had never really read Deleuze and Guatari prior to my conversations with uh, Kiado Cruz uh, from Oaxaca. And so that was kind of part of the conversation that was going on in here. And yet it's something that oftentimes reviewers of this book will kind of pick out and they'll be like, why are they talking about Deleuze and Guatari in the middle of a chapter on indigenous knowledge? Uh, And miss the fact that like, Western theory can be part of indigenous knowledge. Now it's not. It's not like there's this sort of bifurcation or separation. And the same goes for uh, for Afro-descendant communities. I mean, they have a profound engagement with a lot of this stuff that's really coming to the fore, uh, and that needs to be kind of part of the dialogue.
1: If I can add a footnote to Joe's, uh, that was such a good, important point. I, I I'm reminded of Davi Pereira and his, his colleagues who are in reading Black feminist thought emerging from the United States, and they're they're big fans of Bourdieu, and 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 I think it's so important to for us. It was very important to me to get across this, in fact, this um, agency of in terms of developing theory in these communities, and that agency means drawing on thought from from worldwide, you know, drawing in worldwide inspiration. And, and and I think that is something that is really important to get across to me because it has been a tendency in the in, in the past to sort of to very much foreground the essentialized sense of authenticity in, in parts of these communities. And, and in fact, what you what what I've seen in my own work and what's coming across in some of these conversations is is the ways in which these communities and map makers are 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 perfectly cognizant of that, are perfectly aware of that. And they will indeed use the, the narratives and use the symbology and iconography, uh, that might be associated with, with more sort of essentialist, um, present representations, but knowing that they're doing that, you know, and that, that, I think is very important. And, and again, it goes back to the original questions about the radical, the radical being we are in the position to, in fact, play this game, but on our own terms that are using mapping technologies.
0: Okay, well, I think we've given our listeners a a good sense of what's in store for them if they pick up this book. So to wrap up our interview, I'd like to ask you each what you're working on next. Joe, do you wanna go first?
2: (laughs) Sure, Um, I think that, you know, part of what's come out of these, these uh, projects like what you see written about in the book are these really fundamental questions about what are territories? Uh, what are, how, how well can we use a map to represent that? Do we need to invent new forms of map making to go with that? Uh, and I have um, really developed a collaborative working relationship with uh, Keado Cruz and Oaxaca to kind of continue to push forward um, some of these ideas, uh, and so we currently have a project going on community radio and community uses of media uh, in Oaxaca uh, that is taking us into a whole new sort of realm of uh, digital and new media, um, and and it's sort of it's. On the one hand it might seem really esoteric on the other hand it kind of follows from these ideas of thinking about territory in more dimensions but it's also um, brought us back around full scale to the fact that uh, data mining is now a very widely used uh, aspect of uh, not just sort of surveillance and the things that we think about but also development policy And the real sort of global trend, especially in part in in countries like Mexico, is to use now data that's collected from community use of cell phones or radio or even community maps uh, to drive and determine what the next development intervention should be. And this is a very sort of powerful way of doing things that's been, it's gotten a lot of attention and support from the World Bank, uh, from the Mexican government, and it's sort of billed as being. Post-theoretical, in the sense that the data is driving the the interventions and not ideological or political concerns. And in fact, one of the things we're getting at with our project is that these things are profoundly that data is profoundly political, uh, and needs to be thought about in these in these sort of new ways. Um, so that's probably one of the biggest new projects that I have um, going right now. Uh, and again, is is done in collaboration with. Uh, Kiyoto Cruz, one of the authors of the chapters in this book, uh, and then a, a group of collaborators uh, in Oaxaca, Mexico.
1: And in my case, um, my work more recently has been has been very urban focused in the Dominican Republic, especially. And um, I think what I'm what I'm doing here is I, I'm I'm picking up on 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 the concepts of territory and how that is in fact is is is, is being Used in productive ways by informal uh, in informal settlements and in very marginalized communities in cities and and I was I was reminded of um, a conference that I that I was part of organizing in 2018 in the Dominican Republic when in fact when one of the authors from from Brazil Emmanuel was one of the speakers and he talked about the territorial rights struggles in Brazil and and the urbanization of Indigenous communities in Manaus, and it struck such a chord among um, community members in the Dominican Republic in terms of in terms of struggles for 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 really for rights to uh, to manage uh, their their own spaces, and and this was taking place during a period of uh, displacement caused by a a massive stormwater project, and so I'm seeing these parallels with. With urban rights claims that I think are really important, and and I think uh, fa- trying to for, trying to draw those lessons into that space I think is very important. I would say another great inspiration I think from this project has to do with co-production, and and I'm um, embarking on the edited book project with colleagues in in South Africa and Australia. That will really look at at learning as a as a way of of bringing together both urban practice, planning practice, rights claims, and, of course, pedagogy. So I think one of the things that I'm drawing from from this experience is, is the, an inspiration to really continue breaking down boundaries between activist, academic, community member, and so forth, and, and practitioner and uh exploring and trying to understand new ways in which these boundaries are are troubled and broken down and and uh with a goal towards uh more liberalization and uh, i mean with uh, towards um, democratization and and rights for informal settlements
0: okay well that all sounds really exciting uh so thank you both so much for coming on the show
1: thank you thank you
0: You just heard a conversation with Bjorn Sletto and Joe Bryan, editors of Radical Cartographies, participatory mapmaking from Latin America, published in 2020 by University of Texas Press. (music)